0: Listening to hundred words or less with Ray Harkins. Welcome, welcome, welcome! Thank you for putting this podcast in your ear holes. That tells me that you care about independent music. You care about punk. You care about hardcore. You care about indie rock. You care about the people that release this type of music. You care about the people that play this sort of music, and you care about the people who have been affected by this whole DIY musical genre in a very deep, deep, and profound way and my guest today is Dan Ozzy. He has appeared on 755 podcasts as of uh, I think this one is 756. All joking aside, I was very excited to have him on because he just released a new book. It is called Sell Out and I'm sure you've seen it on the internets if you are uh, living in the uh, the world of the internet because uh, everybody's talking about it, you know. All the all the kids are picking it up, all the adults and you know, fine publications like the Los Angeles Times are talking about it. But um, I am incredibly excited to read this book. I ordered it, and uh, it's just basically sitting there. I need to finish another book and then dive into this. But I've enjoyed Dan's writing for quite some time. He used to write for Noisy. He also wrote uh, Laura Jane Grace's biography, about, I don't know, like 2015, 2016, uh, from Against Me. And uh, I've just always followed his writing, found his um, his humor and sarcasm to be like a good mix of of being like okay I'm I'm totally calling BS on this band but like I get where they're coming from or you know I I think this band is important and he gets really specific in his writing and I appreciate that so anyways all that to say go buy his book Listen to this interview because I I tried to turn over a few rocks that he hasn't done um, or he hasn't responded to in other podcasts, but it it was a fun hang. And I think uh, Dan's experience in regards to writing about the collision of art and commerce and how he got started in his whole freelance writing lifestyle is very akin to all of us that have played in bands and have tried to, you know, like quote-unquote make something of it, whether that's like a full-time endeavor or if it's just something that we obviously do on the side. We do it because we care about it. You know that. Anyways, you can always email the show, 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It would be very much appreciated because uh, not only do I personally read those, but then, you know, it adds legitimacy to this show in ways that uh, I can't buy. (laughs) I've tried. I'm just kidding. I haven't tried. But those are things you can do. And then also tell your friends, tell your family members, tell your you know, local um, you know, pizza shop dude, whoever, whoever cares about independent music, let them know about this thing, because that's, uh, that's the best way to spread the word. So anyways, here is Dan Ozzy. Go buy his book, Sellout. You can find it wherever you buy books. And uh, let's go. I definitely became aware of you in the noisy era of your uh, writing career. And I immediately was attracted to it based on the fact that like, oh, like this dude knows what's up. He's not, you know, just like throwing around band names for convenience sake, because clearly you were cutting deep <laughs> with a lot mm-hmm. of your references. And but at the same time, there was also, uh, you know, quote unquote takes, <laughs> as the Internet would say, mm-hmm. Uh That were honestly like it. It reminded me very much of uh, the Buddyhead era, except not as snarky and crappy. Um, But it was informed, and there was a distinct point of view to it. Uh, And clearly, that was something that was encouraged within the confines of you know noisy advice in general. Did you? um, I guess as you started that particular job, was that encouraged, or that was basically just kind of like what you felt? the
1: need for your writing was uh yeah that was uh well first off i i don't know why but i'm standing up doing this podcast this is the first one i've done standing up i feel like it gives me a little bit of a like i feel like i'm a comedian working the room here like i can move around i kind of like it but anyways um (laughs) you know that's 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 accurate like i i don't know what uh, most music writers now grew up with i see a, a lot of people like romanticizing stuff that to me I'm like who cares like who who cares about Pitchfork and who cares about I don't even care about like Lester Vangs or, or stuff like that like really the first person I really saw doing it in a way that spoke to me was Buddyhead yeah um and you know in hindsight I've gone back and a lot of that stuff is um not just like uh, grammatically awful But, you know, they'll just talk about stuff and they'll be like, oh, uh, is this the same singer from that other faggy band? And you're like, hmm, (laughs) I didn't remember (laughs) that. Um, So a lot of the stuff like culturally doesn't hold up. And also the writing was awful. But they they had this attitude that I really appreciated, which was, you know, like we are the cool people and we're telling you what we think because our opinion is better than yours and uh in a way i just i just respect that i think to write about music um like critically you do have to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and you you know people are reading you because your opinions are better than theirs if that if such a thing can be measured but like whatever that attitude i think is like important and so yeah when, when i got to noisy um uh, this guy, Ben was running it and he, he did tell us and told me like, if there's golden calves that you want to take down, go for it. Like if you know, like we're the next generation. And so if you don't think that like something from the past was good, just fucking say it. And, uh, you know, I think over the years we mellowed, but in the beginning, when I got there in like 2013, we definitely did have that, uh, as our sort of ethos to be funny and a reverend and not be afraid <clears throat> to kind of like chop things down if we wanted to um, And then yeah, I feel like we softened a little bit but but there was definitely that same spirit uh, still happening at the at the time that I got there
0: yeah sure well and i agree with you i mean just that that point of view where it's like even if you did not agree with uh what all of the writers were putting out you would at least understand like hey maybe you know i don't agree with you i don't i don't think that this music like you said you know is quote unquote faggy (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i at least you're you know putting something out there that is uh you know, hold some weight or as far as an opinion is concerned. You
1: know, I was uh, in a bookstore the other day and I uh, shout out to uh, lost books. um, But I found this book for five bucks. It was like the best of vice magazine, like 2005 or something like uh, from early mid two thousands when it was like way over the top. And I bought it just to see like how it would hold up. And yeah, a lot of the cultural stuff did not age well. They are like obsessed with gay guys and trans women. Like it's you know it's weird in a lot of cases. But but all of that stuff aside, again the attitude that they had, which is like how they gained a following, was this like bad boy bad girl writer who's just like you want to hang out with the person writing this because it seems like your cool older brother, you know, or or like your cousin who's like way you know like knows all the cool bands or whatever but like that attitude of like we're dictating what's cool and it kind of sucks because i do think that like yeah we don't like the idea of gatekeepers is definitely receding now that people have voices on the internet but uh there was something to be said for like i'm standing here i i'm the one with the microphone and you're gonna listen to what i have to say you know like i so i i do appreciate that because like i said i think you have to have a little like you have to have a lot of confidence to um tell people music is bad or music is good
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely or you have to listen to your enemy's friends all the time
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: I just I just remember that band being shoved down everybody's throat and being like on everybody's tour because obviously you know the uh, Head was behind them.
1: But that's what, what was the other one? That fucking Burning Brides or the Suicide? Bur- no, uh, what was what was that one that the every all, Line? Yeah, they, all of my. I would love them to give me and my friends a refund on that. Like I, we all bought that because they. Uh, anyways, yeah,
0: no, it, you you. And it's funny because I I think a lot of that too. <laughs> was you would buy into it based on exactly what you're talking about or then you would see them play and you'd be kind of like, oh, I like this a little bit less and then you'd actually listen to the record, you know, unapologetically and be like, oh, yeah, this isn't that good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but they were so confident about it. And then, you know, when you have that attitude, uh, I think you definitely, I certainly have been like people, you can be, I guess the best word would be like divisive. People Mm -hmm. are like really into you or they're really against you. Uh, and you kind of have to like brace yourself for that too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very boring to sort of be milquetoast middle of the road, you know, like there's some writers that you'll read online and their entire, uh, you know, we're talking about like the cool coming from a cool place of being like, you can't fuck with me. Like I'm the coolest person. There are some people who now I read online and their entire mentality seems to be like, don't yell at me, but I would like to make a point. (laughs) And you're like, this is boring nerd. Get out of here.
0: Yep. Oh, for sure. Totally.
1: (laughs) It just, it just seems like doing so much work, to not get yelled at you know it's just like all this prefaces of like oh you you might say this and blah 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 but uh, let me get to my point you know just so much like bracing yourself for impact and i really just appreciate when somebody puts it out there and maybe it's right and maybe it's wrong but they die on the hill and that's cool
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely they let it they let it spray as the kids say
1: yeah spray (laughs) and pray
0: Exactly. Um, so, reflecting on you as a person, I know you were born in Staten Island, and that's you know clearly where you were raised and you cut your teeth, and you know became a quote unquote adult. <laughs> um, that I, I presume I've only literally let's see, I, I think I played a show in Staten Island once, but that is my only experience with it. it I mean, but it's a very sort of you know generic suburban upbringing uh, from what I can kind of tell. Is that uh, is that correct?
1: Um, I, I don't know what other places are like, so it's hard for me to say generic, but it doesn't, it does seem distinctive, uh, in other ways that are unique to it and make it unlike other places, specifically that it is adjacent to, uh, lots of places of significance, Manhattan, New Jersey, Philly. Um, I mean, it's like, you can, you can see Manhattan across the water it's it's right there so it is like it does seem suburban like when you're on the ground level but also it is connected it's New York City too so it is um you know it feels like if it feels New York but also suburban so it it doesn't really feel like suburbs that I've been to where there's no like uh connection to anything it's part of New York City it just chooses to be kind of like separate Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. It's this, the the distinct geographical nature of the fact that it's an island and, you know, you have the ferry and everything. But yeah, it's like, yeah, we're close enough to everything to where it's not just this, like, you know, which which
1: makes people so much more ignorant there. It's just like we're we're close to all this stuff, but we choose not to embrace it. Like it's just I I knew people in Staten Island who like would say that they'd never been to Manhattan. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like what yeah. what? Uh but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a real deliberate snubbing of culture there. If you've like live in Staten Island and have never been to the Met, it's like <laughs> Why not? Why you know?
0: Yeah, that's a choice.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Um, and I, I don't know the family structure. Uh, you know, brothers and sisters, like mom and dad in the house.
1: Uh, yeah, I have one sister. Uh, and uh, yeah, got it. Um, o-
0: o- older sister or younger sister? Younger. Okay, got it. So you were the uh the trailblazer that had the um you know privilege of uh finding out how strict your parents were.
1: Um yeah i i i honestly i in hindsight and we talk about this now i actually think that i was pretty good because like my parents um like i was just really good at school and so uh my parents didn't like bother me very much you know it was and i didn't bother them like i I think kids can probably give their parents a lot of headaches but i was uh, I was into the things that I was into, but I don't think I like made too much trouble for them. Cause probably what I'm saying is I'm probably, I was probably easy enough to raise, you know, and that like, I didn't really need them too much.
0: Right. Right. Well, I, I mean, and that is i think that's really beneficial for most kids and i'm sure that you experience this like especially as you start to like go to shows and be able to be a little more autonomous that usually the hammer kind of falls down on kids because they either don't do well in school and start to slack off and then they can't go to as many shows or you know do be left alone like you're talking about.
1: Yeah, that that was like a huge motivation for me to do well in school. It's like, well, if I do well, my parents won't tell me what I can't do. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if I had slipped, they would have cracked down on where I was going or what I was doing more, but they just kind of left me alone. And, and it's just so funny now because like I am uh, just like a very independent person and uh i think that was kind of because my parents just were like well let us know if you need anything but you you seem to have it i guess i don't know like you seem to be figured it out you know so uh yeah
0: yeah bounce some bounce some ideas off us if you're uh, you know running into some problems but you know what you you got a roof over your head and yeah that's well that i mean that's cool because that can like you said, give you the autonomy to be able to experiment with all this stuff that, you know, you might not have had a chance to experiment with. Yeah, for sure. The, um, I know your introduction to independent music in general was, uh, you know, kind of for lack of a better term like that, that screamo scene, you know, whatever I, I robot and uh, cable car theory. Um, I find it interest like those sort of bands and you kind of, your first musical exposure beyond just kind of what was on the radio was this sort of DIY scene. Was it, um, as you started to experience that, was it kind of the visceral nature of these bands playing like right in front of you? That was exciting. Or was there other things that you were kind of pulling on that made you want to go to more?
1: Yeah. I mean, it felt really cool to go to shows and to just be, I, like, I was thinking about it the other day. I, when I first started going to shows and uh, the place I was going to, everything was just right on the floor there. It wasn't like, you know, uh, obviously no barricades. It was, everybody was just on top of the band. And I remember just being so, I thought it was so cool to just be like, I'm going to stand right in front of the amp. I'm going to watch the show right in front of the amp. Like, I just thought it was so cool to just like get my ears blown out. Yeah, I don't know why, but like at that time, it was just like, wow. Yeah, you could just stand right in front of the amps here so i'm gonna do that i would just do that all the time and just blew out my hearing why did i do that sure well i that because
0: you obviously don't have any idea that you're actually doing that visceral damage to your ears (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um was it also um kind of that that I guess being, you know, right up front and experiencing it, did you have that motivation? Uh, I know you did play in a band, but did you have that motivation to kind of uh, quote unquote contribute uh, right away as far as like, oh man, I want to do a zine. I want to see, you know, I want to set up a distro table. Was that all kind of part of the early process as well?
1: You know, not really. I think for me, it was like more about me and my friends, <laughs> like judging. Stuff okay. You know, like, sure, sure. we felt like we, I don't know, I think as a teenager, you just are willing to die on the hills of your bad opinions. And I feel like as a, my group of friends was like, so invested in like, talking about records or like analyzing things that were happening more than like, putting ourselves into it, if that makes sense. And I can't even explain in what way other than like it was really important for us to just like have like hang out and like talked about what we liked and didn't like but i wasn't su- i don't think at that time i was super motivated to be like yeah and i want to start a company that makes cassettes you know or whatever i just didn't really have that much of a drive in uh, for, for participating yeah. i like being like a, in the shadows like a i don't know i don't know like a observer i guess
0: you're like a uh, Sadler and waldorf and the muppets
1: <laughs> yeah and now it sucks because i'm like so well not that i'm like <clears throat> famous or anything like that but i like kind of can't do that in a in a sense like i'm you know just like i was reading this book about uh of of annie lebowitz and, and her photos and are fucking amazing and Uh, she was covering the OJ trial and it like kind of got distracting because everybody knew who Annie Leibovitz was and you know you kind of almost can't be a fly on the wall with your camera anymore and I kind of feel like that sometimes now when I'm just trying to be like sneaky with my camera or something like that and somebody's like are you Dan Ozzy I'm like god damn it you know it's like I'm like looking forward I'm gonna go see the Menzingers next week and I'm gonna Wear my COVID mask and my hood and that'll, you know, (laughs) not that I like need anonymity, but I'm like, oh, this will be a nice excuse that nobody will know who I am.
0: Yeah. Well, especially to once you get to that certain age, like you fall into the idea that, you know, you know, the bands, you're friends with the bands and stuff. And then you're also to the, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. It's like, what's that old guy doing?
1: Oh, I know. I feel like so cognizant of my age now. (laughs) And it's it's just funny because you would think it would be like, you know, because when I was a kid, I was young, but I also had nothing. You know, I was a nobody, and now I'm like, oh wow, I have uh, two books, and some people know who I am. It's pretty cool, but I I feel so uncool because I'm not like 16 anymore. <laughs> you know, totally. um, so yeah, that's why I just go to the Lucero shows. I can hang around with people my age.
0: And <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, let me go to the age appropriate shows, and right? Go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but then I'll go see a band called like boomer torture or some shit like that. It's like a horror, you know, and I'm like, "Oh, I feel old." Ladies and gentlemen, let
0: me bend your ear about merchandise. Let me bend your ear about this incredible company called Rockabilia and they have a website called rockabilia.com and you can use this promo code 100 words or less and it gets you 10% off your order. Those are all important facts for you to know, but the the flowery language that I'm going to use to describe <laughs> Rockabilia is true. It is not hyperbole. It is my favorite place to buy merch on the internet. They have hundreds and thousands of items. We are approaching gift giving season It is literally right around the corner. And I urge you right now to just drop what you're doing, go to that website, buy some merch for your friends, for your family, whoever is on your list for this particular year, and buy them some stuff because they have a wide array, everything from, you know, really small, cool, independent bands to like The biggest bands you could possibly imagine—your Beatles and Led Zeppelins and (laughs) Guns N' Roses—they got it all. And you can save yourself the time and effort to just buy everything at one spot. So please go to rockabilia.com. All officially licensed stuff ships from the Midwest. Bands get paid. You get awesome merch. It's a win-win-win-win-win scenario all the way around. One hundred words or less is the promo code. Ten percent off your order. Go do it now. So as you started to, you know, experience going to shows and start to become obsessed with this music, I, I imagine that, uh, I mean, like you said, your parents kind of left you alone from that perspective. Were they ever like, what is Dan getting into? This is really weird. What does he mean? He's going to a show. Is that a concert? I can't tell. Um, or did they, again, just kind of let let you be?
1: Um, I, My parents have never really understood it and don't have much of an interest in trying to understand to this day. uh, My parents, my mom has no idea really what I like, no understanding of like what I do. And then no way, like in no way, like really tries to learn, which is fine, you know? Um, But I think it helped me as a kid because it seems like a, a weird thing that your kid is doing, but also too like learning from, bands like that it totally steered me away from like being some asshole jock on the football team who fucking you know like date rapes and does all you know and is like homophobic and all this shit like it totally i think while punk seems like a more extreme path i think it made me a better teenager and a better person for sure you know
0: yeah oh absolutely Uh, especially to where you start to you know, as you're developing your identity and be like, am I a sports kid? Am I a book kid? Am I a math kid? Or am I a music kid? And then, you know, like experimenting with them all and then hopefully finding a spot in one of those.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, I, I know that, like we mentioned previously, like you did play in a band and there was no – um i guess uh you know idea that like oh man i'm I'm gonna make it like clear clearly this is a a, a path that i can uh, you know be a full-time rock star because clearly no one in the punk art course scene has those visions in that time frame um how did um w- was that experience kind of like what you thought it was going to be or were you like oh wow like you know sleeping on this person's floor like i, I didn't think i was going to be doing that not like you expected to tour in a bus or anything but
1: um, no, I, I had like a very low key experience with playing music. It was mostly playing to my friends at, you know, the places that we all played at. It wasn't really like I never had aspirations with it. It was just us like making things and then our friends telling us it was pretty good, even though it wasn't good. Um. So in no way that I have any kind of like larger goals or aspirations with it it was more like emulating stuff that we already liked you know sure sure right <laughs> yeah
0: you you get that uh, idea once you watch you know five or six bands play be like hey maybe we can sound like a, a a bad version of all of those
1: yeah pretty much i mean like i don't think we were out to like do anything original it was just like yeah here's stuff we like let's try to do that stuff in our own staten island way
0: <laughs> right
1: um
0: I, i'm gonna guess like your experience like going into the city and probably you know seeing shows at abc no rio and stuff like that um did you uh, did you start to get attracted to kind of the uh, you know political expression and that sort of you know diy ethos as far as being able to you know control a lot of your own destiny um did that kind of immediately grab you
1: Um, if this makes sense, I think I just liked it more for the convenience factor. Like in New York, you know, you could go see a show at ABC, no Rio, and you show up that day and you give them $7. And then you go stand right next to the band and you watch them and then you go home. Whereas like if you would go see something at Roseland, it was like you had to get a ticket and it was 20 bucks. And then, you know, there's 2,500 people in it. And it's just, I don't, I just I think I just like the personal nature of it more than the idea of like, wow, we can do this ourselves. You know, it was more like I just liked it as a way of experiencing music. Like even now, I fucking hate watching a band at a festival. It's like the worst possible way to to hear a band. Um, and so that it was the same thing, just being on like a very small scale version of it. Right. And
0: kind of along those same lines, like you—I mean, just from an outside observer and having mutual friends with you—you seem like a pretty social person. And um, you know, to a certain extent, like you know, you—I'm sure there's a hermit that is lurking inside of you as well. Um, (laughs) How uh, do do you feel like going to shows and stuff like that uh, helped you sort of understand the socialization aspect, or were you pretty outgoing to begin with?
1: Um. I think I was kind of insecure as a teenager. I'm insecure now. Um, but yeah, I don't... I, I don't know. I'm, I I. don't know shit about astrology. But the one thing I know about being a Gemini, as I am, is that you're sort of two-faced. And I definitely fluctuate between being super social and uh, very paranoid uh, when I'm out in public. Still.
0: Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I think when you do get attracted to the weirdo subculture that we've been attracted to, I think even though you may seem like a semi well adjusted person, like there's you're probably always going to be fluctuating between those two polarities, like, uh, and understanding that, oh, I can't be social, but then like, please leave me alone.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I just like it depends the context. Uh, like if I have to go to a show alone i don't i don't really like showing up somewhere like standing in the back i feel like i'm being observed um but going like with friends like that's a lot of fun you know so i just um i don't know i it's uh, social settings sometimes give me like bad anxiety unless it's it's the right kind of setting i guess
0: yeah the right mixture no i get it um and i know that uh as you Wanted to and understood the expression of yourself in regards to you know you being attracted to creative writing, English, all of those disciplines. Um, you started doing you know zines, and I presume were you doing more sort of like I know personal expression, but you were you doing interviews and like music reviews in those uh, early zines, or was it primarily just kind of uh, personal journal stuff? And I know that sounds sort of a little bit cringy, but you get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I liked the capsule reviews. Those were like more popular at the time. Just sort of like just banging them out. Just like here's an alphabetical list of albums that came out over the last like three years or whatever. And like here's like four sentences on each one where I think I'm so funny. Um, So, yeah, I feel like those reviews were like what drew, which is funny because I don't have any interest in doing that kind of stuff now.
0: Right. right. (laughs) And I do, I think a lot of that also was probably inspired. I'm sure you grew up with, you know, distro catalogs and stuff like that. And I think the, uh, I don't know if you ever read the very distro catalog, but that was so interesting because it was like, they wanted you to buy these records, but then there was also a little bit of Stark included in them as well. Um, And so I, I do, I agree with you. Those reviews were so valuable because you clearly couldn't listen to music at that time on the internet.
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, when something came out, you wanted to just like have your opinion out there on it, and so yeah, I I really liked those at the time, and I I have really shifted off of. I don't like reading them, and I don't like writing them, and I, they don't they aren't really as prominent anymore either.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. It's like you, you <laughs> there definitely is no. Um, you have to either have fift bare minimum fifteen hundred words or you shouldn't write it at all as far as
1: yeah right I know. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, I- I'm sure
0: as you uh started to you know explore the different ways that you could kind of uh cover music slash entertainment, um you probably have some interesting uh early interview stories where you were um you know either learning something because you were messing stuff up. Um, I'm sure, you know, because all of us do that all the time. Um, What were some early, uh, I guess, kind of fumbles as you were figuring out how to do, uh, you know, interviews or reviews for that matter?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I guess like, I like to think that I'm always learning with interviews and I'm trying to think of like a particularly bad experience um but like yeah i don't i don't really think i have that many um it's you know some some interviews are quite awkward because people are just awkward and i feel like i'm pretty good at interviewing now but sometimes you just get up against somebody who is not good at it and it goes sure. a little tense. So I don't know. I I, I don't know if it's too hokey of a, an answer, but I do feel like I'm always learning uh, how to improve it, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I think that's an accurate response. I, I think it's, it's just always, I, I like to frame that, especially from a writing perspective, because you, <laughs> you, for the most part, like, when you're interviewing a person and you're like, Oh cool. I'm going to interview them for an hour. And then you're like, I only have 300 words. Like what, why did I speak to them for an hour? Like, you know, that sort of condensation of it. Like you don't really understand it. Maybe at the time in their earlier years.
1: That, that happens. Another thing that, that happened too, is like, there's like a false sense of familiarity. Like, um, uh, you know, if you research a person uh, to interview them, and especially if it's somebody who's like, Art you've been following for a long time, you have this weird sense of like knowing them, but then as soon as you're talking to them, you realize like, wait, I, they don't know me at all. Like we're not. But like I remember I interviewed um uh, Mark Duplass one time, and that's a guy who like you know he's on that show The League, and he's supposed to be playing like yeah, your buddy. Like oh, I know a guy like that. You know, like just your buddy on your football league or whatever. And um, but when I was talking to him, I was like. Why does this feel weird? And I realized like, oh, I'm trying to be like buddy, buddy, but he's, that's a character that he does. He's just, he was very nice, you know, super approachable and, and every, and friendly. But I was like, wait, he's not my friend. He doesn't know anything about me, you know? Um, And so it was just like such a, a that was a little bit of a learning experience, you know? <laughs>
0: Totally, too. And especially, I and I know I've personally had the experience, and I'm sure you also had it, where you're like, dude, I know Mark Duplass has an indie rock history. Like, we can talk about well, it. That, yeah,
1: of, I mean, yeah. that's that's what we were interviewing about. And so that, it, that made it even more, like, familiar to me, where I was like, oh, dude, I know all about your band that you used to be in. Like, we have this in common, but, like, we didn't have it in common, you know? <laughs> uh, he was in the band, and I was just some person. So, uh, yeah, that was a good learning experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like you you spend the first five minutes like trying to build that bridge of familiarity, and then the person's like, "I'm I'm glad you listen to my band. Thanks."
1: For yeah, you. for sure. I you know I'm just some person to, that happens to be talking to them at that time. Right, right. Uh, so a, as you were, from what I
0: understand, I mean, you went to college and you got you know your your degree, and you started to figure out like, okay, I want to you know try to write whatever that may mean and cover things that I'm you know either. Passionate about, or obviously with music being the through line. I know that you were writing for the uh, Staten Island, like local newspaper. What was it called?
1: The Staten Island Advance.
0: There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that is such a wild world and a, a, a culture in and of itself. I'm sure you were learning to crank out so many different things from, you know, I know that a lot of people have to write uh, obituaries and like the, the first beats are always this, like, wait, what do I have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, Was, uh, was that experience basically just like through immersion that you were like, okay, like now I know how to write quick. I know how to turn this stuff around or were there other principles that you kind of learned?
1: Yeah, for sure. And then um, when I was in college too, like you, you like have the leisure to be like, okay, this is due like next week's class or whatever. And you, you're just so precious about like when it's done because it's gotta be like perfect. But then, you know, you work for a newspaper and they have a deadline and so, uh you you learn to be less precious with your work and then like writing for the internet it's like no sense of being precious at all because it's so instant you know that you just have to like learn to be able to like let your words go perfect or not right yeah
0: it's like i gotta send this up because this is due by 10 Mm mm-hmm what sort of um i guess edits were you receiving in your earlier years of things that you thought you were kind of maybe killing it at but it's like hey um you know dan you're you're putting all these commas in the wrong places or was there kind of these early learnings that you um, were illuminating for you
1: uh no i mean my writing's been perfect since day one and awesome. nobody's so really hear. had <laughs> comments yet and I don't think that they ever will. Um, That's good. <laughs> infallible, I think is the word.
0: Yeah, it, well, I mean, considering you are a wordsmith, I think you hit that nail on the head, my friend.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, as kind of fast forwarding to the, you know, noisy aspect of it, that was clearly like a, a cultural moment in hitting, uh you know, music journalism and obviously vice's rise to, uh, you know, more mainstream prominence. Um, Did you feel like you walked in there with, uh, you know, kind of the voice and the angle that you already sort of had been developing over time? Or did you feel more of a freedom to, you know, kind of lean into other aspects that might not have been exactly reflective of uh, you as a person? Not saying Uh, you
1: were mimicking. No, I mean, like when I got there, um, that guy, Ben, he was just like, you know, he he was like, we hired you because we like what you're doing and we just want you to do it here. And so I just got to do what I wanted, which was really nice. But then I do feel like a little bit early on, I started to fall off track because just like I said, having that freedom and sort of encouragement to just be like, yeah, if you want, if you think something sucks and you want to like take it down like you're open to do that uh and so i think i almost like looked too much towards that uh and like kind of maybe went off the deep end you know and like maybe got snapped back to be like hey you don't have to be a troll (laughs) you know you you can just kind of uh you know uh make your points but you don't have to like do it like do you even believe what you're saying you know like are you just trying to get a, a reaction out of somebody Um, yeah Yeah,
0: letters to the editor right yeah yeah (laughs) when when do you feel i I guess kind of on that point did you uh feel that uh feedback (laughs) or maybe the negative feedback that came your direction where it was like oh man this guy killed us online so you know i'm gonna uh i mean obviously during that time like twitter was you know a thing but maybe not as much of a thing as it is now um do you remember any of those uh kind of early uh, people being mad at you because of what you wrote
1: yeah, and it was it was more like this little nerdy um community online of like the online writers who all think that they're like really important that but they're not and they like um didn't like me because I think that they had established this like kind of unwritten laws of like music blogging or whatever. And I came in there and I didn't care about anything. And I was just like, boom, 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 boom. Okay. I'm out of here. Like, you know, I would just come in, screw everything up and leave. And so I got a lot of pushback from them. I'm sure there are people in that world who still don't like me, but I don't, you know, like it's, um, I just didn't care. Like I didn't, I wasn't trying to like, you know, like it's the type of people who like, it I think of it as like, you're so brave Twitter, you know, like they just write <laughs> something and then I don't think readers actually read it. I think it's just other verified people replying like, you're so brave for writing this. You're so brave for writing this. You're, and I'm like, okay, this is like a support group. This is weird to me. I don't want any part of this, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and especially too, like when, and I'm sure you experience this, where you know you, whatever, write about certain bands or certain, certain musical genres, and then like that community comes out with their blades out to be like, oh man, this guy thought he was cool. Like, let's take him down a peg.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wrote I, back at Noisy. I had written this thing uh, about uh, the Philly scene, which was really popping off at the time, and. You know, being like they're they're being sort of like a a little bit of a New York East Coast rivalry, I kind of wrote it up in like a snarky way that was like, yeah, you know, everybody in Philly is like a dumb shit uh, hick, but I got to give it up. Like they got these 12 bands that are really cool. Check them out. And all the people in Philly like were so (laughs) mad about it. It, Well, actually, I should say that the people I knew who had grown up in Philly thought it was funny because they got it. They're like, yeah, this is like, fucking baseball fan talk or whatever but the, the like transplants who would like move from michigan to start like an indie rock band in philly had no sense of humor about it they wrote all these like response pieces about it and it's just like do you not understand that this is like a vaguely like a character or like a like a bit you know what i mean and it was just so weird but i was just like great <laughs> like go for it If 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 like attacking me emboldens you with your little like fan base knock yourself out you know yeah <laughs> have no, at I, me
0: totally i i love that it's like the the people responding to that are so devoid of actual cultural context that <laughs> yeah they don't understand that this rivalry exists or it's outside. just shit
1: that i'm like i don't think you've ever been beaten up before you know it's just like i really think that everybody on the internet should get has should everybody should have gotten beaten up at one point in their life. You know, uh I like see people o- online and I'm like, "Oh wow, indie rock just needs more fist fights," I think. <laughs> um, I think that would solve a lot of these problems. Right. There's, there's just a- so much like v- passive aggressive beef on Twitter, and I'm just like, "Hmm, you guys could settle this in like 2 minutes if you just kind of scrap for a little bit."
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just wrestle and then you'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when, you know, as you were, cause by that time you were obviously, you know, a, a staff writer, or whatever the label you probably gave yourself at noisy was um, when, when did you feel like uh, your writing became quote unquote real um, in the sense of that? Like, okay, clearly like I'm making a living off of this and you know, I'm, able to have some eyeballs on the pieces that i'm writing uh when do you feel like that was sort of happening for you was it during that time or did you feel like it was you know when you published your first book with them uh,
1: yeah King? that was that was because then it was it was like people were talking about things that you had written and it was just kind of like huh people have opinions about me one way or the other and it's weird you know and um Uh, Yeah, I guess at that time, like, it's just sort of like, uh, it's not just like you're putting the words into a machine, it's like they're having a real effect. And so that was when you like, you kind of like, understand the power of what you're doing in in a way. That's true.
0: Like, what you are putting out there has, and I know it sounds dramatic, but like repercussions
1: yeah or even just like sometimes you'll tear something apart online and you know maybe a person at a record label sees it and is just like yeah actually maybe we shouldn't sign this band like maybe we were thinking about it but I, you know or I, I don't know you just have like i've heard of so many like real world repercussions that pe- that uh, i've had and um but I don't think about it. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, it's just, I never really think beyond what happens when you just press publish, like things happen beyond that. And it's, you know, writers have effect. And and I just want to say like, I'm not this person at all, at all, at all, at all. He's like a extremely accomplished, uh, writer but like jim DeRog- derogados uh DeRogattis, oh, jim yeah, yeah, who right. wrote about like r kelly and basically brought down r kelly you know uh five we took decades but you know he did it and so like yeah it's just it's just weird to remember that that like oh actually like words can have real real world repercussions you know
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, it's the same way that, you know, I mean, clearly when bands, like when you, when you put your art out in the world, like you've got no control over it. And I know that sounds really sort of precious, but yeah, it's the same way as, you know, when you write, you're just like, I'm putting it out there and you don't know what that is going to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, having two books under your belt, I mean, both were distinctly, uh, you know, under the same umbrella, but very different experiences from, you know, you compiling all of these, you know, interviews for sellout and obviously telling a narrative story within each of these records, um, and time pieces. Uh, and then obviously the, you know, book training that you did kind of reflecting on both of those experiences is, uh, there one now that you kind of prefer, like, would you like to be that sort of collaborative you know organizer like you were in tranny or did you enjoy uh, not like you enjoyed one more but what you'd like to focus on in the future
1: um well uh, sometimes like i will get asked about uh, helping somebody else with their memoir or their book or whatever and i just learned from the experience with laura that i it, it's a very work intensive process and it's very intimate and And I would not do it for just anybody or if I was, it would have to be for like a lot of money. Um, But I just learned from that, that I will, I would be very selective and there are probably only like a handful of people where I feel like, Oh yeah, I'd want to help. I'd want to help them. Cause with Laura, it was, it was like a very great process. And like, it was just so uh, I feel like we were just on the same page and, in, in a lot of ways we had the same um we had the same like tendencies and the same kind of like uh what's the word i'm looking for uh like notions i guess or instincts and um so it was wor- it worked really well but like i just would be so hesitant to do that with anybody else and also to like not to sound arrogant but y- you have to like think of what you do as, you know, you have to have some kind of like respect for it. And you're like, you know, I'm good at this. I'm actually good at this. And so I deserve to be a little bit choosy. Like I wouldn't do this for just anybody because I need a paycheck. Like you have to be like, I'm, you know, it's almost like a, like, I, 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 I'm sorry. It sounds arrogant, but like a a chef or something, like at a five-star restaurant, like he's not going to just serve some fucking, you know, like mac and cheese, like it's, you know, you, you're, you're making something really good and you have to treat it as such. And I know that sounds arrogant, but like, I feel like if I didn't hold my, like, if I didn't recognize the potential in what I'm doing, I might be inclined to just take really shitty gigs, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like- Cause it's
1: just like, oh, whatever it's work. I just, am a little writer who cares, you know, but I have to be like, no, I'm writing books that are really good. And this is like, again, I don't mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm trying to like dumb it down, but you know, you're like, this is like a, an an honor for somebody to work with me, not an honor, but you know, it's like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying, it's like, again, like, I'm sure Annie Leibovitz, I'm just thinking of her now, like Mm. she's got to think that like, you know, somebody's getting an Annie Leibovitz picture, you know, and she probably thinks that when you buy it, you're buying an Annie Leibovitz photo shoot, you know? And so like, I'm not on that level certainly, but I like to think of it like, okay, if you're paying for me, you're paying for like a Dan Ozzy book and you're going to get a good product. And so I know that all sounds arrogant, but if I don't say it out loud, I will... Absolutely devalue what I do as just some like silly little writing, you know.
0: Well, I I mean, I appreciate the articulation of that because I do think that there is that idea of because of your experience and because of your point of view, like you know, you are not, and maybe this is me just like blowing smoke up your butt, but like you're, you know, you're not a tourist to the the you know DIY culture, and that. You know, and I'm sure you've seen so many projects that have come out, whether it's you know book, record, documentary that is in incapable hands that are maybe just like hired because they have you know a good eye or whatever, and then it's like, oh, that sounds terrible. Like that, that either sounds terrible or reads terrible, and so I, I do think that the you know the value that. You're created is by the collection of your experiences, as as opposed to just like, oh, here's a guy that can write.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, totally. I I'm very um, snobbish about the rock books I read, and and just having been a fan of against me, if Laura's book had been written with somebody else, and I found it subpar, it would infuriate me, you know. And so I I really feel like honored that I got to be in on that project because I'm like. I'm the right man for this job, <laughs> you know? And like it's not something I say often, but I was like, no, who else is going to do this? Like, this is, this is me, I got this. Right, yeah,
0: totally. I, I do
1: love that idea where you see something else out in the world and you're like,
0: oh, damn it, I could have done better with that. Like, not in an arrogant way, just enough.
1: <laughs> you know, in probably... a way that like inspires me more than um, if I read something that's just like astounding. Like every time I read a Cormac McCarthy book, I'm like, this is not even what I do. This is so in another universe. It's not even like inspiring to me in a way because it's not aspirational. Like I'm like, I will never in my life get to be uh, good enough to use words like this. You know, he's on a different plane of existence. But if I read something shitty, it's almost like weirdly inspiring because I'm like, hmm, I could do this better. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to my computer right now. Cause I have an idea, right. You know? Um, So like in a way, bad writing weirdly, like pushes me and motivates me more.
0: Oh, hell no. I, I love that. And I love that thought process because it's, I mean, it's the same way, even though you wouldn't bands and whatever, like aren't able to articulate that, but you see other bands and you're like, Oh, I could probably do just like a little bit better. And again, in a not arrogant way. And then, you know, you might end up just tripping onto something that, you were proud of. And that's like all you could really ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Last few things I want to hit on was the, um, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it with the obsessiveness of, you know, kind of DIY punk, whether it's like, you know, vinyl collecting and knowing the most obscure bands and being like, Oh man, I heard their first demo before they were even called a band or whatever. (laughs) And it it, like that, that sort of obsessive nature I, I know is permeated through a lot of different subcultures. Um, do you think there's something that is inherently unique about, I guess, the kind of obsessive nature of that, you know, punk, hardcore DIY scene? Uh, or is that kind of just like, oh, yeah, comic book people also experience the same thing?
1: Um, You know, it's funny. I, I, I hope this answers your question, but I remember being at Noisy and w- when I got hired there, I got hired to do this like weird little punk thing that we're talking about. And everybody else was doing their beats like hip hop and uh pop and whatever else they were doing. And I remember just coming in there and covering stuff that had not been covered before in like other play. You know, like it wasn't just stuff that like I, I just want to I wanna like set the this the climate. I, I don't take credit for this, but when I started at Noisy, Pitchfork was not covering like Joyce Manor and the yep. World is a beautiful place. It it didn't start until after after this, you know, so when I came into noisy, I was like, the sole voice doing this. Um, and when I would cover these things that we're not used to getting like big coverage, um, they would be the most popular articles on our site. And my coworkers would be like, I've never heard of this. Like pianos become the teeth. What is that? I don't know what that is. Yeah. And why is it the most popular article on our site all day? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I have a job because I'm talking to people who are very enthusiastic and are not talked to often, you know? Um, So if you cover something like um, Pianos Become the Teeth or whatever it is, the Lawrence Arms or whatever, it's just like, yeah, no, there are big rabid audiences for these bands, but nobody is addressing their music in a serious way. And so I feel like really lucky in that I came in at a time at Noisy where just I just by virtue of being the only one willing to cover this like punk emo thing, I, I got an audience. And then I think, again, I don't want to take full credit, but I think people caught up. Like once I had established, like there's a market for this, then you, st- then you saw, you know, like modern baseball get covered and like the fader or whatever it was, but like it, it, it was rare. It was few and far between, um, at those places, whereas I was doing it full time, you know?
0: No, I I appreciate you laying it out like that because I do think, and I mean, it still exists in this day of, you know, especially within the hardcore world where there is like, you know, even though certain things, like whatever, knock loose as an example where it's like you know everyone lost their mind when they got a review and pitchfork. and it's just like, what the hell? Um, it, but it, it does feel like there are all of these genres and subgenres that get completely overlooked from a press perspective. and it isn't until people start to write about it where it does exactly what you're talking about, where the passion comes to the surface and people are realizing, oh, maybe they it like people do care about this band. It's like, well, yeah, no, of course, like yeah, we're paying attention.
1: The, um, the example, the, the recent example that I think of is Foxing and, uh, and, you know, this is not to discredit Foxing. I like Connor a lot. It's, it's nothing against them, but I remember they got like a, a pretty mediocre review on Pitchfork for their new album. And, um, you know, everybody was like, I can't believe Pitchfork didn't like this and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, as somebody who's been watching the evolution of it, uh, for longer than these people have, I'm like this wouldn't ne- like years ago this wouldn't have even been a band that even got a-, a nod from pitchfork like maybe maybe if they did review it they would just like 15 years ago or whatever pitchfork would have just reviewed it they would have called it faggy and then we would have all moved on and been happy with our lives you know but yeah. um but it wasn't until like it's, it's funny cuz i don't pitchfork seems like they also had a similar trajectory where they were like flying off the handle some of those early reviews are also rough you know i think that gets uh like overshadowed in in sellout there's like an example of them calling jimmy world like homoerotic or something like that you know they were rough and then they kind of like suited up a little bit and they became more serious about what they cover but then they saw like that emo stuff is popular and then they started giving more credibility to that but like back in the time of like you know foxing had been around when like alkaline trio's goddammit came out like the review for that is is uh, like abhorrent too it's so it's just I, what i'm getting at is it's just so funny that like people would even people have taken for granted that pitchfork would even review a foxing record let alone happen to not like it you know
0: totally yeah just being able to recognize it in general it's like that was yeah i mean it's like i i I was helping out no sleep records i so distinctly remember this like when we were releasing the second balance and composure record they did a premiere of a song pitchfork did and they (laughs) like the day it went up they wrote the publicist and was like hey so like this is literally the largest stream that we've ever done this like beats you know whatever like it name you know band f- flavor you know flavor of the month band that they were covering. and it was just so funny to see that groundswell and it's exactly what you're talking about where it's like wow like this is uh, this is a moment this feels interesting and cool
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: uh the Clearly you have followed something that you are passionate about and be able to, you know, make a living out of it. And I know that a lot of people also like to follow things that they are passionate about, you, have, you know, whatever that whole adage of like, Oh, you know, <laughs> work with something you care about and you'll never work a day in your life, which of course, as most know, is kind of a, a stupid thought, but you still care about music. You still go to shows. Like clearly you're involved. How do you? Uh, I guess per, not prevent yourself, but like don't fall down the old guy on the porch rabbit hole of like, oh man, music was so great back in the you know early aughts or late nineties or whatever. Um, or is there another antidote that you try to um, kind of, you know, drink to make sure you don't become that person?
1: Like how do I not become like a uh, old uh, nostalgist? Um- yeah.
0: Nostalgist or just jaded in general.
1: Well, I think that like, um, I, I, I like when I was a young person, I used to be so much more aggressive about what I thought sucked. Like, no drive through record sucks. All their bands sucks. I'm going to tell you that it sucks because I'm right. Cause I'm a teenager and you know, I'm 22 and you can't tell me shit. Um, but then like, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm, we'll look at new music and I definitely have my opinions and I definitely do think it sucks, but I know that like putting my two cents in will make me sound like a cranky old man. And, um, but you know, also too, like there's some stuff that I can acknowledge now. Like this is not an opinion I would have had when I was 19, but there's some stuff that I can acknowledge now where I'm like, you know, that's not for me but I can see the appeal of it. And, you know, a lot of kids really love it. So who am I to say that they're like wrong for liking it? Um, it's, it's, I'm much more acknowledging that things just are not for me, you know, whereas when I was younger, things that weren't for me are wrong. Like that, which exists (laughs) without my permission does not exist. Um, so, but now I can just be like, yeah, no, that's not for me. I don't need to say that it sucks it's just, I'm not the audience for it.
0: Right. Moving right along, moving right along.
1: Uh,
0: and I promise last thing, but just the the concept of selling out, like, I mean, clearly that's what your uh, new book is about, but, um, you know, that concept uh, does not really exist anymore. Like more, more, more bands are looking for the idea that like, what can I do to actually make a living? And if like that requires me licensing a song to a commercial, like, you know, you would have been crucified at one point. Um, so it, it is it uh is it kind of interesting to release this idea of like the the concept of sell? I mean people generically know what it means, but you know people under the age of whatever thirty five are probably kind of like, "Oh yeah, I roughly know what it means. um I'm sure you had a thought process behind that
1: A thought process behind just like the the context of
0: uh, selling out and how that is much um, it's much less important and precious these days um, yeah. as opposed to you know what the the time frames that you are covering in the book.
1: You know, I have been asked this in every interview that I've done and you would think I would have a good answer for it right now, but whatever as somebody tries to modernize the book, I'm like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. You know what? I feel like I, I, I feel like if you asked me this in like six months, I might have a better understanding because I wrote the book the way I knew how, and I genuinely have no idea if people will um, understand, like uh, if young people will understand what I'm talking about or if people will remember it, or if they feel like it does still exist, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to get the feedback that will shape my uh, decision or my opinion about this over the next few months. You know, like I, I don't, I don't really know. Like I, I lived in this world for so long. Like um, writing this book. That I I my knowledge ends at like 2008. And I'm like, yeah. huh, I don't know. I don't know what happens after that, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's just the idea that bands that exist, whatever, in the past, you know, 15 years or so, where that idea of selling out is much, like I said, less common because people you know not only care less about that but just the idea of a band doing something to make a living most people are focused on that to be like wait if this band does this i can still listen to more music from them like okay like sign me up for that
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: well Dan you know i heard if you're interested oh, in
1: selling out i heard there's a great book out this week yeah it, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's uh that's a great segue to it's so funny
1: that when friend. i not that i have any problem answering all of your questions of course but when somebody i i it's i i think a lot about when laura and i were uh after we did her book and she put her entire life out there and then she had to do interviews. About it. And it's like, it's in the fucking book. <laughs> like, Please stop asking me about it. And I kind of feel like the same way. I'm like, I wrote 450 pages. What the fuck do you want from me? Um, so I don't know. I, I hope I'm more eloquent about it in the book than I am here. No, it's a it well. It, it is a uh, it is a subject that is ever
0: evolving, and uh, that's something that you will, like you said, only be able to have a retrospective look back at it, as opposed to in real time. So, yeah,
1: yeah, I gotta sell that. I gotta sell that updated edition. So I can't give too many answers away, you know. Hell, hell yeah! <laughs> Obviously, that's the, the
0: your the the paperback with uh, you know Caven's major label record and oh, all these other wait. things. Yeah, can't exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging, Dan. I oh, appreciate thanks that. for having me. Thank you very much, Mr. Dan Ozzy, the man of the internets, the man of the people, the writer of books. And uh, I appreciate it because, you know, you've been doing this whole press blitz and uh, he didn't need to appear on yet another podcast, but he did. And I am thankful for that. Next week, we've got a great discussion. This is a member of a band called uh, The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. Chris Teddy, he is the Vocalist, or wait, no, no, no. Guitarist. That's right. I was about to say vocalist, but he does some vocals, let's be honest. Um, he also own or is a co-owner of a recording studio in the Connecticut area called Silver Bullet Studios. Um, and yeah, he he's just a guy that like has existed in my periphery for quite some time. And the opportunity came up to speak to him, and I was like, I think Chris and I need to be friends. <laughs> let's go ahead and let me punish him for an hour about all the random stuff I have in my head. So That's what we do next week. Chris Teddy is on the podcast. Just can't, you can't wait for that one. Just go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and it'll just dive right into your device or your computer, wherever it is. That's no thought involved whatsoever. So anyways, until then, please be safe, everybody.